Good afternoon, everybody. Please join me in a short word of prayer before we get into our weekly Bible study. Come, let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for this opportunity that we have to share around the scriptures and particularly on the themes of the parables. We ask, Lord God, that as we set this next time aside, that you would be present with us wherever we are listening to this. May you make yourself known and help the scriptures to come alive in our hearts and minds. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, everybody, and welcome back from my side to this weekly Bible study. The last three weeks have certainly been pretty hectic, and uh, I feel like a bit of a jet setter, although my travels have been more local to Namaquiland, Benoni, and uh, Paul. But um, it's good to be able to share again uh, in our Bible study series. So remembering that we were looking at the parables, um, I'm going to take us to one of the familiar parables today, and that is from Luke chapter 10. So you can turn there now, Luke chapter 10, from verse 30 to 37. Uh, we could probably actually even go a bit earlier from verse 25 um, to 237. And as you turn there, many of you would recognize it immediately and you say, oh no, but we know about this particular parable. So yes, there's a lot we do know about the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I'm going to ask us that we could also just put a few of those thoughts aside for a moment and try and pretend like we're hearing it for the first time. Because of course there, there is a, um, a point that comes out of this, which is that we should show kindness to strangers and those who are different from us. Um, but Jesus is also speaking on another level to the Pharisees and teachers of the law about the, the futility of trying to follow the law in order to gain your salvation. Now, we remember in verse 25 to uh, 27 that there is this encounter between this expert in the law who stands up to test Jesus. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear that his, his question, um, which is, what must I do to receive eternal life? Um, which, by the way, is a brilliant question. His question was not asked sincerely at all. It was asked to test Jesus. In other words, he wanted to try and put Jesus on a spot to ridicule him and to make him look like a bit of a laughingstock. But of course, the brilliance of Jesus is displayed, and, and Luke captures it well for us, where Jesus then, instead of answering his question, asks him another question. And so verse 26, we see that Jesus replies to the expert and says, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So without actually answering the man's question, Jesus then throws it back at the expert in the law and, and he answers with those famous words, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, all your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And what effectively he's done in that verse is he's summarized all of the Old Testament law, the Torah, um, found in Deuteronomy 6, as well as Leviticus 19. He, he's brought in that whole essence of what we know as the Ten Commandments, which speak about honoring God and then also honoring our neighbor. And so Jesus, in response to the expert's uh, suggestion or comment about this is what one should do. Jesus says to him, of course, you are right. Do this and you will live. And so 
at this particular point, we, we see that Jesus also cuts to the chase and he sees into the heart of the religious person saying, you know, you know what you're supposed to do, but clearly you actually aren't willing to do it. This is where there is a disconnect. You know in your head what is right, but in your heart you actually aren't able to do it. And so we see this already in the response of the man, because verse 29, in order to try and justify his actions, or maybe his inaction, he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Now, I think the word that we would use for this, uh, or the phrase, would be uh, splitting hairs. In English, the phrase splitting hairs is like a, you know, do we really want to try and define this? But in order to to try and push Jesus or to, to squirm his way out of this, the expert in the law says, well, who is my neighbor? And again, now we see Jesus picking up this beautiful gift that he has of, um, of telling a story, of a parable, of laying it alongside the truth, this story, uh, this illustration, so that he can get this expert in the law to see something on a more profound level. But just before we get there, um, we, we, must, we must see that when Jesus said to him in verse 28, so let's just come back to this, when he says, do this and you will live, he's speaking about that question which the expert asked him, what must I do to have eternal life? And I think in the Greek it is the word zoe, which means eternal life, um, and it's it's not just a life that is beyond the grave, but a life that we can live also in the present. So I think just the way I read it, when Jesus says, do this and you will live, he's saying to the expert, well, if you follow these commandments, if you live out what you profess with your mouth every day, because in the Jewish tradition they would say the Shema every day, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is saying, like, if you actually live this out, your life would be so different now in the present, not just in sense of in eternal life. So he, he then comes to this, like I say, from verse 30 onwards to where he shares this, this parable. Now, we should note that in the parable, there is no sign that this was a true story. Okay, because sometimes we, we get, get a little bit blurred on this particular point. This is an illustration. Jesus may have come across something similar in the past, but he, he puts the illustration or the parable together to, to, as we can see, to shock those who are listening, but also to challenge the expert in the law on a very deep level. Okay, because... This man comes in quite arrogantly. He comes in trusting in his own ability. Remember that for the many of the, the religious people, they, Luke tells us in Luke 18, that they trusted in themselves. They trusted that they were righteous, and therefore they despised other people. So now Jesus, through this parable, in answering the question, who is my neighbor, he's going to show up the expert in the law. Um, and so he comes to this, um, this parable. So we, we note, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, we note that there was a man, a Jewish man, traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked by bandits, and he's left on the side of the road. And then the priest comes past, and the 
priest moves on the other side. He crosses over to the other side of the road. So this immediately, we could draw a whole lot of other parallels, but Jesus is saying, look, the priest, the one who knew the Shema, who knows the Shema, um, and also knows to love his neighbor as he loves himself, isn't actually following through with that. He walks, he goes right on the other side of the road. So salvation for the, the man, the, the Jewish man, it was not from the Jewish priest. Then the Levite comes down, and remember that um, a Levite was like a temple assistant. He, he also came, and, and he didn't cross over on the other side, but he actually looks over. In one translation it says he actually walks over and has a look at him but then also passes by. So he, he maybe gets a little bit closer than the priest, but he also isn't able to offer him salvation or help. And then what happens is Jesus drops the bombshell when he speaks about the Samaritan. The despised Samaritan comes along and then he takes pity on him. And, and even as Jesus is telling the story, one could imagine the shock and the gasps as people are thinking, no ways, no ways would the Samaritan do this. Because uh, I think many of you who are listening would remember that there um, was a lot of um, animosity between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. It, um, it went back generations, and it wasn't just one-sided. It wasn't just that the Jewish folk despised the Samaritans. There were also many of the Samaritans who despised the, the, the Jews. Um, one could, you know, one could go back in history to have a look at that, um, but but it certainly was there uh, for everyone to see. So, so this um, Samaritan man now comes uh, comes along, and uh, he he sees the Jewish person, the, the Jewish man who's now been robbed and lying on the side of the road, and then he goes to to um, to really put his faith into action and he goes the extra mile if you like where he not only takes out his own medicine and his own bandages puts him onto his own donkey takes him to an inn and he pays um, he pays the innkeeper but pays him also in advance that whole thing of two pieces of silver one could one could see that as um, a denarii which was uh, equivalent of a day's wage so he was paying him in advance and then also he said look if the bill runs higher than this I'll pay you the difference so it's it's an extravagant act of love and grace on the behalf of the Samaritan and and I'm sure that the, the listeners are just shaking their heads saying there's no way that this would ever be possible in the context of the time the story is made up it's fake it's a it's just a, a wishful dream in, in, in some way. I just want you to come back to some of the root of this hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. Um, because the, we, we do get a glimpse into this in a few other passages in, in the New Testament. But uh, historians tell us that about 130 years before the time of Christ, that um, a Jewish king in the, in the Maccabean dynasty by the name of John Hyrcanus um, defeated the Samaritan nation. And it, in that time, the Jews demolished the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerasim. And although that temple was never rebuilt, so the scholars tell us, the Samaritans insisted that Gerasim was the only legitimate place of worship for um, the people of Israel. 
So remember that Samaritans and Jews were, were related. You need to do some of that own, your own research into that, but it goes, goes way back in their history. And so in some ways they were, they were cousins, uh, if, that's the, if that's the right word. But that whole thing about the place of worship, if you have time, go and read in John chapter 20 where Jesus encounters the, the woman at the well. And he speaks about, uh, about this place, you know, where he speaks to her as a Samaritan woman about their place of worship on the mountain. Now, this was uh, Gerasim. And so, although today, and, and this is interesting, that in today's times, this is so in the 21st century, we believe that there are fewer than a thousand Samaritans left. Um, and that's also something that's interesting, and maybe we haven't got time today to get into that, but how the Samaritan community has shrunk um, over, the, over the generations. But anyway, let's not come away from the, the actual point that Jesus is, is getting to here, is that this Samaritan man now takes the center stage of the story. And we see how he notices the, the man. So Luke 10, verse 33 uh, and it says, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Now that's the same, the same emotion that Jesus feels, and and is there in the scriptures. And when Jesus sees people who are lost or without help, he he is moved like in his gut, if you like. Um, it's not just a noticing with your eyes, but a noticing with your 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 heart and your stomach. Um, and so he then goes to him. So the, uh, the priest actually intentionally walks on the other side of the road. The temple assistant comes a bit closer, but then carries on going past. But the Samaritan sees him and then goes and he kneels uh, at, the, at the man who's been robbed, takes out his own provisions, like I say, and then offers, um, offers him the help. Now, in, in putting this little story, this parable, to um, the rich man and obviously to the, uh, sorry to the expert in the law and to those who are listening Jesus now asks them another question or asks him a question but everyone would be thinking about the answer verse 36 says now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits okay and the man replied the one who showed him mercy then Jesus said in verse 37, the last part says, yes, now go and do the same. So the man has answered his own question through the parable and the story that Jesus has thrown out into, into the mix. And maybe one of, the, one of the things we can take on this is that the question we should not be asking is who is my neighbor? Okay, because clearly when Jesus heard this man asking the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus wanted him to ask a different question. And maybe the different question, and I'm, I'm thankful to John MacArthur for, for helping me just to think through this, is the question is, it sounds similar, but it is different. And that is this, whose neighbor am I? So do you see, instead of asking who is my neighbor, and then we start looking around and say, well, you know, is it that person? Is it that person? Is it that person? And when you ask it the other way, whose neighbor am I? The answer would come, well, anybody 
who has need. And now suddenly we are put into this real bind, if you like, because the challenge comes in is that we as Christians know the summary of the law, and in fact the summary of the whole scriptures, we could argue, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And and so now we know that, and now we need to be asking this, ourselves the question, well, whose neighbor am I? You see, if we, if we had put ourselves in that story, and we ourselves had been robbed, I think we would have seen that we would have taken ourselves off to the best doctor, we would have taken ourselves to the best medical facility, we would have taken as long as we needed to, to get well. Um, we, we wouldn't, if we had the resources, we wouldn't have skimped on getting the best treatment for ourselves because we would have wanted to get better. And so if that's, if that's just an example of how I would love myself, then when it comes to somebody else who's got a need, then that phrase which says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, suddenly becomes even more challenging. So what does it mean then for us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? And I'm, I'm not going to give you an ABC answer, but it's something that we have to reflect on. And, and so on the one hand, this whole familiar story and the parable of the Good Samaritan um, challenges us to start looking around and saying, well, you know, whose neighbor am I? Um, if I can show those who are considered to be um, on the fringes and the outcasts the love of God, then, then God help me to do that. But also behind this parable is, a, is another, another level, and that is that God is wanting to show the religious leaders, but also his disciples and those who are listening, that in the way that the Samaritan treats the Jewish uh, man who's been robbed is the way that God treats us. That we are the ones who are broken and lying on the side of the road. And, and maybe the people that we expect to help us aren't going to come to help us. And so we realize that in, in how the, the Samaritan loves extravagantly, so the Father, so Christ loves us. You know, if you come to Romans chapter 5, and this is worth having a read and also reflecting on, it says, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what Paul was saying is, while we were enemies of God, God still sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And so if you think about it again, here I am in the context of the story. I'm a Jewish person, a Jewish man. I've been beaten up and I'm lying on the side of the road. The enemy comes, the one who is the Samaritan, the one comes. And yet, instead of the enemy treating me like I would expect, probably kicking me and you know, beating me up again and, and so on, the, the one who I least expected shows me this incredible amount of grace and mercy, extravagantly giving all that he practically has. And this is the picture of how God treats us. 
And, and I think this for, for many people is something that we know in our head, but also we struggle to, to appreciate in our, in our hearts. And so that when we, when we realize that we are like the broken man on the road and that Jesus coming along um, is not going to ignore us or he's not going to come closer by and then look and say, oh, look, uh, it's down, okay, so I'll carry on walking. But no, he comes and he kneels and he loves and he takes care of me and uh, he pays the price. I mean, don't you even, uh, now that you think about it in this way, when the Samaritan says, if the bull runs higher than that, I will pay the difference the next time. And Jesus has paid the price of our sins on, on the cross. And so where it leaves us then is also in this place of receiving this mercy and grace that God gives to us. So we then are challenged, as we hear the story today, we are then challenged to turn to Jesus, the, the one person who is able to give us the thing we most desire. And can I remind you that in the words of the rich expert, um, he was asking this, verse 25, what must I do to receive eternal life? So the very thing that most human beings, as Augustine would always remind us, you know, our souls have this God-shaped vacuum and that they are not at rest until they find their rest in God, that Jesus is the one who's able to satisfy that and to answer that question for us. And so if the, if the rich uh, sorry, the, the lawyer, um, the, the expert in the law, if he had truly looked into the law of God, which he knew backwards, and recognized his own sin, then he would have been able to turn to Christ and see him as his savior. But he wasn't able to do that. He was still trying to figure out how he could uh, split hairs and, and try and sort of analyze and psychoanalyze the law, trying to justify himself. But we, we remember that none of us can justify ourselves. Because remember the word justify means to be made right. And as much as I could argue and justify that I deserve salvation because I'm better than the next person or better than that person, that argument eventually falls flat because I'm not perfect. And so we come then to this moment where we say, Lord, I can't justify myself because you're the only one, Jesus, that can make me right again with the Father. And so then I come back to this, and I'm going to leave it now in a moment and just pray that some of these thoughts and maybe different thoughts for you will, um, will bounce around in your head and your heart for a while. Is then this challenge to, yes, now go and do the same, is not just, I mean, and yes, it is a challenge to go and to love our neighbor and, and ask whose neighbor am I, but then also to be able to show mercy to people and to invite them into this beautiful relationship we have with God. Um, because I, I still feel and I still know that there are many people who have this image of God that, that is distorted, um, that it's based very much just only on a legalistic view of God. And if we in some way are able to help people unpack a God who is like the Samaritan, who kneels at our side and comes to, to heal us and to pay the price for us, 
then maybe people would be drawn to that picture of God. Um, and for some people, sadly, they still think that God would be like the religious priest or the Levite walking past and saying, well, I want nothing to do with that person because they aren't, they aren't good enough, they aren't holy enough. So friends, I, I hope in some way we've taken the familiar story and, and shaken it up a little bit, but may God add his blessing to his scriptures, and thank you so much for listening. By all means, pass it on to anybody who you feel um, may find it helpful. Let's just pray together. Lord, we hear the challenge that comes to us today, that we can look for eternal life in all kinds of things, even in legalism, even in religion. But that is not going to satisfy the deep longing in our hearts, that Jesus, you are the only one who will satisfy. And so we also ask for opportunities to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and Lord, to... Um, to be as merciful and caring as we can with those who are on the journey of life with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.